Hello, my name is Shireen Jordan and welcome to Tea and Tonic. This podcast is about giving my guests from all different creative industries the chance to tell us about how they got to where they are today. While we both sip a tea, or perhaps something a bit stronger with a tonic, it's a chance for those affected by the impact of lockdown, the opportunity to chat, because talking is, as the saying goes just the tonic. I hope you enjoy it with a beverage in hand. It's Friday the 11th of September 2020 and my guest today is actor Simon Lipkin from Essex. Simon went to Sylvia Young Theatre School at 14, followed by Arts Ed, where he studied musical theatre. His first job at 18 was on a cruise ship, after which he got the part of Pharaoh in Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. That was followed by performing the roles of Nicky and Trekkie in the original West End cast of Avenue Q at the Noel Coward Theatre. Simon's theatre roles include Rock of Ages, the UK tour of Monty Python's Spamalot, Guys and Dolls, where he played Nathan Detroit opposite Rebel Wilson's Miss Adelaide, and on film he played the role of Jerry Poppy in 2018 film Nativity Rock. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Simon Lipkin. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm very. That's with hearing all of that. Hearing a lot of your life condensed into a succinct one minute is it's unsettling, is what it is. Sorry, I'm sure it is. That's what happens. But may I compliment you on your podcast voice? Oh, what an excellent podcast voice you've got. Thanks, Simon. Coming very, from you, you're very welcome. Coming you're from very you, welcome. who I've seen in Spamalot, I am just well, there, there. We go, there we go. Because <laughs> that is that makes you, if you've done a touring version of Monty Python Spamalot, that makes you an expert on podcast podcast voices. <laughs> and, that's what happens. Well, and voice work. You know, we're going to talk about Avenue Q. I don't know how you sure. did those two roles uh, sure. in such quick succession as well. But before we begin, what beverage do you have in hand today? Do you know what I've got? Because it's a slightly overcast Friday. I've got a cup of tea. I like it a lot. Um, Lovely. Cheers. Lovely now, cup of tea. Cheers. I like the mug. What I realised is it's <laughs> it's advertising someone else's podcast. It is. We're Ripley not going to mention... Magician podcast. <laughs> We're not going to mention them. I'm really sorry. His doesn't happen anymore, so it's fine. It's like a relic. This is a relic mug. That's what it is. It's a relic. Fine. Relic well, of the past. You know, I am going to take the idea of yeah. a podcast mug. I'm going to yeah. get the names of all my guests on yeah. a mug. Yeah. So I'll, yeah, I'll take that. Good. Um, I've got a really boring decaffeinated tea this afternoon. Um, lovely, lovely. Because it's got milk in it, or have you just it, gone neat? It's got um, almond and coconut milk. It's a hybrid milk, actually. Sorry, hold on. Wait, you mean that you've put in two separate milks, no. or the one milk has both in? It's one milk with both in. This is witchcraft. I, I tell you now, I hit the wrong button on my click and collect shop last week. Yeah, someone's doing well for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> someone's doing all right oh she doesn't use her legs to go to sainsbury's <laughs> the good old click and collect i tell you why it's because i do my parents shop as well as ours Got it. and then Got it, it means that my mum doesn't have to I go i feel like a dreadful person now <laughs> it's fine, it's i feel fine. like an awful person no, well i am lazy oh. as well by not going to the supermarket sure. you're quite right but i find that then if i do my mum's too i just yeah. feel a bit better about myself as a daughter Really? Yeah, that's good. That's um, good. But yes, but the milk, total hybrid milk. I uh, don't know okay. how it happened, but it is in one bottle, a, a mix. Okay. Yeah. Great. I'm going to try that. <laughs> put it on. Put, put it on the Ocado. <laughs> Pop it on. 
Pop it on. Alexa! <laughs> Haven't even got one. Haven't even got an Alexa. And to car. Is that how it works? I don't know what's happening. Oh, Simon. Okay, <laughs> I don't think this is going to be serious this afternoon at all. I think it's going to be all right. No, yeah. it's going to be good. It's going to be good. So, okay, you have done theatre, telly, yeah. film. But sure. as a child, did you know that that's what you were going to do? Was this kind of nurtured out of you at school? Do you know what? It wasn't nurtured out of me, but I, I think, yeah, from very, very young, it, it, I I knew what I did. I don't think anyone when they're young goes, that's what I'm going to do when they're older, because who knows what they're going to do when they're older. But I knew I loved it. Mm. Like I knew that I had fallen, like the first time that I fell in love was with doing silly stuff. Mm -hmm. That was what, like when I was, when I was young, I loved entertainment and I was nurtured because my parents love the arts. They We went to the theatre. I was so lucky and privileged that we went to the theatre all the time. But my mum used to work in comedy and television okay. um, before, before I was born. But she used to work at Thames Television and she worked on programmes like The Kenny Everett Show and Morecambe and Wise. And nice. she used to run This Is Your Life and uh, back in the day and wow. the Today Show and stuff like that. So she was in that world. Mm -hmm. My dad mm -hmm. is a humongous comedy fan, like huge. So when I was in, like you said, when I was in Spamalot, he loved Python. So he brought me up on Monty Python mm -hmm. and the two Ronnies and uh, Tommy Cooper and Morecambe, all of those people. That was sort of my, my upbringing. I didn't know anything, even from when I was little. I knew nothing about what was in the charts. I didn't, I didn't know anything about football, but I could tell you every two Ronnie sketch going from wow. when I was young. And I just sort of loved it, playing piano, learning about puppets and magic and anything that was kind of that, I guess you put it into that sort of old school variety. Mm -hmm. you, you, what would you class them as? Like the song and dance man? Yeah. Like that kind yeah. of like, they'll do, a, they'll do a, a funny skit and then they'll sing a song and then yeah. they'll do a magic trick and then they'll do a bit of an interview and host something. And that's what I fell in love with from when I was little. Okay, so the, the whole kind of triple threat skill set if you like right but let's take triple out of it because i dance like a wounded animal so, <laughs> so like don't worry the tattoos and everything that i've got on me are to disguise the fact that when you ask me to move it's it's unsettling for everyone um <laughs> so it's for the best well it's refreshing to know that you don't have to dance then to carve a successful career in well, the industry. No, no. You just learn how to you learn how to tell a cheap joke and then you can stand up front. You go da, 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 and then you just present the dancers. Amazing. I love it. So did you then know that at school you wanted to because you went to Sylvia Young, so I have the impression of Sylvia Young that all the teenagers that are there know that that's what they want to do. So you know that at quite a young age. Right. Is that how you um, felt? Yeah. It's a good question because I don't know if I thought about it. Here's the thing. I think that anyone that wants to do it never considers doing anything else. You don't make a decision to do it, but there's no other... Fullback. You only don't make a decision to do it because there's no other option. Mm -hmm. Because if you knew then how, let's be honest, doesn't matter what side of this industry you're in, if we knew how horrible and difficult and weird this industry was and someone genuinely it, it's like a horror story you wouldn't do it you'd, you'd dissuade any child from going I now understand why when you say when you hear stories about my parents didn't support me yeah because it's they were trying to help they weren't trying to be horrible they were trying to they were trying to save you 
And I think if you have the, in my case, stubbornness to push past wanting to be saved, then there's no other option of career. Okay, that's so that's so interesting you say that. Now, the parent you were just describing then was my mother. Right, I got that, it. It's, it's all right to say that. And now look at it, and now he's doing the shopping. <laughs> Right. Who put the food on the table now, Mama? <laughs> yeah, but I did order the wrong bread last week, though, Simon, and I did get okay, told well, off. Well, we, well, she had a point. She had a point. Then <laughs> maybe, maybe you should have stuck to something different. It's not our clicker button. <laughs> That's really interesting. You say that. So, what was it like then, going to Sylvia's at fourteen? Really, really young, going into a year group that was already established. Right, so there were kids there that had been there since they were pre-secondary school. I think you can start there. And I was at this incredibly wanky, um, posh school in Essex called Bancroft. It kind of looked like Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. Um, And as much as I hated the academia, you know, everyone's on the list. We're going to go to Oxford and study law. And I just thought, no, Mama, I want to dance. So sort of... Pluses and minuses is that I I hated it. And, you know, classic Tears of a Clown story that I was a little fat kid who got bullied mm-hmm. and all of that oh, sort of stuff. Yeah. I'm all right. I get good laughs out of it now. Um, but also, because it was such an amazing school, and it is an amazing school, is that they had so many programmes. They had a theatre and they had uh, bands that I played in and all of that stuff. So I really did get to sort of stretch those muscles. Mm-hmm. And I tell you when I can pinpoint... Um, they did Oliver and uh, everyone was very excited and people wanted to play Oliver or Dodger or whatever. And I was like, at 13, I was like, give me Fagin. Give me Fagin. Give me the old man that gets to do the 11 o'clock comedy numbers. That's where the money is. Um, and I just was sort of, I guess, unhappy and um, very sad and probably now looking back at it a bit lost and mm. angry, which probably made me a difficult child because it does and then um my amazing parents when I turned around and said I've heard about this place and I'd love to do it didn't say no they didn't say yes but they said let's explore it which is you know to this day they changed my life single-handedly they didn't tell me to go and do something else they said well let's explore it um my dad always told me that you know, if, if something happens, just jump in at the deep end and then you'll figure out how to swim or there'll be a way out. But if you don't go for it, then you never know. So for them to have that confidence and to have, maybe it's not even confidence, but for them to just have that understanding, I guess, is that the word? What real foresight, I think they had, didn't they? Right, but probably not even the fact that they thought this little kid is going to be able to do it professionally. They just probably just thought, we'd rather our son be happy. And I think maybe I just, maybe I should have been a lawyer at Oxford because maybe I just made a good case and maybe I just swayed the jury. But um, but yeah, I I went and met Sylvia and she said, why would you want to leave? She's from the same area that I am. So she said, why would you want to leave that school? You're an idiot. Um, And then I sung her a song, I sung her any dream will do from Joseph. And I did a speech from Midsummer Night's Dream, um, a bottom speech. Yeah. And then she said, you can start next week if you want. And single-handedly, my parents and that woman changed my life. And I still speak to Sylvia and I still see her. And it's from that point, I can say that I became a happy child and I knew where I 
um, belonged in the world. Yeah. And when you have that assurance as a 14-year-old little fat Jewish boy from Essex, mm. you sort of go, yeah, all right, I can do this. People don't think I'm weird. Mm. Like, I fit in here. I found a bunch of weirdos who all are happy to let me come and hang out with them. And that makes me really happy. And I've never looked back. It just shows, doesn't it, that I think whatever age we are, if you find that friendship group, your peers Mm. that have the same interest as you, that have those same commonalities, yeah, it, it can change life quite quickly. 100%. And I mean, like, whilst you're there... You're surrounded by, the the year groups are small. There's no more than 20 of you in a year. And you all kind of mix in together. So above me was Tom from McFly and Nicholas Holt is in in the year below. Amy Winehouse has just left and Rita Ora is in there. And you're just surrounded by these kids who at that time are kids. They're just kids. We're all just kids who want to do the same thing. But you call teachers by their first names. You will go and work. So... Um, I didn't have the best look because I was, uh, you know, going through that awkward boy stage, but I've always used my voice and stuff. So I was doing voiceovers every single week and doing things and earning money. I was earning money at 14. You know, my Jewish parents have never been so proud. They thought, I knew we made the right choice. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it oh, was it was amazing. I'm so happy. I'm so happy that you found your niche and things turned around. And from there, you you went to Arts Ed? Yeah, I went to Arts Ed at 16, um, which was a couple of years earlier than normally people go. But I think just because we've had that training at Sylvia Young's, there were a couple of us that went from Sylvia's to Arts, just because we had had a few years experience of kind of working and doing stuff. And and we went, and you know what? It was too young to go because forget what the course is, just to go to university at 16. You're not mature enough to do that. That must have did been you, difficult. Did, I mean, did you study and stuff and do all of that? Uh, I went to uni at eighteen, actually, and I dropped mm. out. Um, mm. And I actually found it a very peculiar experience. Mm-hmm. Not just because the course wasn't right for me then, but I found the whole thing pretty intimidating. Um, right, yeah. Just looking after myself and the general day to dayness, I don't think mm. I got the balance quite right of lectures partying alcohol Uh money anyway so basically I dropped out and I then went back to uni a year later to do English degree and it was all grand and it was all fine but I totally hear what you're saying because I felt young at 18 so Mm. going and doing musical theatre as well which is it's a very physical emotionally, mentally, and physically demanding course. Yeah. I think that must take a lot out of a 16-year-old. Yeah, I think I was, it was just for wh- wherever I was at, for wherever it was at, you know, I think it's a very different college. Now it's a great college, but I just, it wasn't for me. It was very dance-based, and we've already covered that topic for me, that, you know, standing there in ballet tights at 8.30 in the morning was not what I was, it's also just not what I loved. Yeah. I remember kind of saying, but I want to, I want to act and sing and work on comedy. And they were like, sure, but go to dance class. And I was a bit like, like a stubborn 16 year old. I was a bit like, I don't want it. And they were like, well, you have to, because sometimes you've got to do it. And I just, it just was, just didn't work. And I, probably more my fault than anybody else's. Like the other hundreds of people that went there seemed to get on fine. So it's definitely on my shoulders. 
I just didn't like it. And I walked out and that was the point where my mum and dad turned around and went, okay, big shot. So what now? Cause we, we, we changed the path and we supported you. And now what? Cause you've, you've decided that you don't want that either. And you know, when you hear stories about, you know, I worked for years and then came up through the ranks and did this and all of that. And when, you know, now younger people come up to me and say, could I have some advice or some whatever? I got nothing because the bottom line is I got lucky. I got lucky. I went to the theatre where I grew up in Ilford and started working on the follow spot and, and doing the follow spot on the pantomime. And one of the guys in it was associate choreographer for some some production company and just said, oh, we're working on this. This We're putting together a new cast of people. Um, do, shall I get you an audition? And I just went, yeah, kind of flippantly. And before I knew it, did it, got the job and... And then I was in the industry. Wow. And, like, and I mean this, and I'm so sorry to everyone. I did zero work. Mm. I turned up, I sung Elton John's Your Song, and then I got the job. Blimey. There's no sort of heroic story. It's just, right. I right. just got lucky. Yeah, so right, right place, place, right, right time. time. Yeah, right friend, right, you and know. Was that the cruise ship job, that job? Yeah, yeah. It was just, it was a guy, it was a, a company headed up by a guy called Paul Elliott yeah. who put on shows years ago, like mm-hmm. Buddy and El- Jolsa, all of those shows. Um, and so they were putting Buddy from the West End onto the ship. So I played Richie Valens and sung La Bumba in that because, you know, <laughs> clearly this this little white Jewish boy is the perfect, perfect person to play Richie Valens. Um, uh, so did that and and we did a bunch of shows and I sailed around the world for six seven months and <gasps> did yeah, you enjoy I did it yeah it was amazing I'd literally just turned 18 when we started rehearsal so I got the job when I was like 17 and then we got on a ship and sailed to the Caribbean like that's the first place we went and I was like well I guess this is showbiz <laughs> <laughs> like, I, was, I, guess, I guess it's just crystal blue waters from here on out <laughs> Look at me now, Ma. So you you do that for six months. You come out yeah. and you got an audition for Joseph. Yeah, I got an agent, one of the other cast members on the ship. She said, oh, my agent's setting up on her own. She's leaving the agent she's with and setting up on her own. And randomly, one of someone who had sort of was closely working with the production company or something just went, oh, we're short a prince in pantomime. Are you free? And I sort of went, well, I don't know how to do any of this. I don't know. I didn't know how to do this before. And they, other people had said, well, you need an agent. And I was like, right. So I just met this woman who I'd never met before in her life and said, I've sort of got a job and would you help me with it? And she just went, uh, yeah. Cause she, you know, she had a new office to pay for. So she was like, sure. Would you, I'll just help you on this one. She was major for 14 years. We never signed a contract. <laughs> we, we just off of one thing where she was like, I guess you're nice enough. Like, I don't have any clients yet. Wow. And so, yeah, she became my agent. I love that story, though, because you helped her and she helped you. Right. She's no longer my agent just because, you know, you make little changes and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, we forged a, an amazing mm-hmm. thing and then came off of the ship and, and she called me up and said, I've got you an audition for Joseph. I went and I started the week after. That's so then I was all of a sudden, I was like in the West End at 18, 19. And I was like, okay, but that's, that's not, I'd be honest with you now looking back at it, it's not great because you don't know the meaning of hard work. Mm-hmm. 
you don't know the meaning of the fight, which is, I think, so valuable. Right, but you've had the fight since then, which I think will kind of... Hell, hell yeah. Will hit hell. in the next hour. But, you know, I suppose you're 19 years old. You don't know any different at this point. This is your foray into the business, and it's been right. pretty plain sailing. It's been plain sailing. And you know that thing that you said about when you went to university, you didn't know the balance between work and partying and money and all of that sort of stuff. Mm. Well, imagine doing that, but now you're working, doing the thing that you've longed to do forever. And now imagine all the mistakes that you'd make. Oh, God. But instead of making them in a dorm room, I was making them in front of Cameron Macintosh. <gasps> yeah, and the gasp is exactly right. I was less than a model employee. I mean, threatened with firing me, like, because I was a kid. And I was out until five o'clock every morning because... So I did Joseph... And then um, I got an audition for Avenue Q and I, I was 19 years old. And I guess it's a weird show. You need to be able to do weird stuff for that show. Mm-hmm. This is a, a hilarious puppet show where this yeah. very small cast play a number of different roles. Seven um, of us, yeah. The puppets um, are almost, there's a human-like way to them, not yeah, they're Muppets. They're Muppets. They're, they're Sesame Street Muppets, yeah. And there's a love story and there's comedy and songs and, and, and rudeness, but it's brilliant. Yeah. And yeah. for the cast members, I'm guessing that this is a yeah. show where your voice needs to be on point. Right, It's yeah. physical. Yeah, hugely. So yeah, Avenue Q was and still is the highlight of my life. It was amazing. The show is amazing it changed the face of musical comedy because it was so weird and brave and it was it's so big because of its puppets and monsters and things and someone playing gary coleman from different strokes as a janitor and like it's so outlandish yet the root of the whole thing is about love and friendship you look at sesame street the heart of sesame street has always been and always will be perfect and on point. Mm-hmm. It's it's about love and kindness and learning and educating and everything that goes with it. So whereas that teaches you about what you need in your younger life, Avenue Q dealt with what you need to learn once you're once you're an adult. Mm-hmm. So relationships and friendships and sexuality and it's dealing with especially now at the moment the the kind of world that we're living in and and uh, race issues being so prevalent man that show which was created in whatever 2004 2005 mm-hmm. it just sort of holds a mirror up to certain issues it's amazing it was a joy and a privilege and those people are still my closest friends it definitely is a show that when you leave the theater it makes you think about your own being about your life and yeah. about feelings and I think how what you say can impact someone else and, and vice versa. Right, right, right. I used to love the fact that people would come expecting to laugh because apparently, you know, people had heard oh, there's full puppet sex scenes in it and there's naked puppets and there's a lot of swearing and all of this kind of stuff. And then people at the interval, there's a really heartbreaking moment at the end of Act One with the female puppet character and people would be like, 
well, I, di- I didn't expect to cry up oh, puppet. Right. So it's it was it was amazing. It was amazing. But yeah, it was hard. This was the original cast that you were in in the West End. Yeah, playing Nikki and Trekkie. There must have been a lot on your shoulders for the show. Yeah, um, looking back at it, yes. But at 19, well, 20 by the time that we had opened, um, 19 when I got it, I didn't know that. This was the whole point. I was just like, I'm having the best time ever. I guess I'm the lead in this huge show. I guess I'm on television every week because everyone wanted us on their TV shows Mm -hmm. and doing these events. We were given things and passes and come and be a member of this club and that club. And you're just like, yeah, I guess this is life now. You take it for granted because you don't know. And then it was when I was like, I would always be late. I'd like to think, and I, I think people would have, like anyone that was there would agree, the work never suffered. When I was on stage, I would, I'd always give it 110, mm-hmm. but that's because I was 20 years old and I, I could go, I could be up all night and still work. Yeah. But Cameron McIntosh and Trevor Jackson, who works there, man, they had my back. They were the parents trying to save me. They sat me down and threatened to fire me because they knew that it would scare me so much that I'd actually learn how to be a professional. And that's what they did. They taught me through fear because that's the only way you can teach an idiot 20. Like they taught me to be a professional. I remember them saying, you're a very talented boy and you somehow know how to make people laugh the way that you do. But all of that means shit if you're not a professional. And so I read that was when I realized that that's just as important as what you do on stage or in front of a camera in fact more is turning up and and doing a good job on both sides of it mm-hmm. was that your wake-up call if you like hell yeah hell yeah them just going yeah we're going to take all of this away from you Gosh. we're going to take it all away from you because you're being an idiot and the sooner you realize you're an idiot the quicker you'll have a great time and they were right kudos to you for for taking that on board because 20 is still young and <laughs> A lot of 20-year-olds are at uni partying and sure. don't have to be, you know, on stage every night doing a professional mm. job. So I guess this is still your growing up phase. But at the, <laughs> yeah. same, at, the, at the same time, you're in a really big show. Well done to you for kind of sucking that up because it's not always easy. Looking at the positive spin on it. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Thank you. But well done to Sir Cameron McIntosh as well because, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he, he did not take any prisoners. Oh, he, he, was, he, he was he was scary. <laughs> um, what happened after that? Because twenty is young. You're in a massive show. Yeah, and I guess you're wanting to to still aim high. Yeah, I mean it's a blessing and a curse because then so then you have to keep that going. You have to keep that going, and you. That's when you realise, oh, holy shit, I was so lucky. Because, I mean, obviously, I think I did do a lot of hard work to get there. I think Avenue Q was 11 auditions or something like that. It was it was a lot of, I earned it, yeah. but I still didn't have to wait for it, mm-hmm. I guess is the difference. I didn't have to wait until I was, you know... 30 something to to go finally and it only hit after that I don't know how much I'm allowed to say about things but I remember just after Avenue Q was coming to it I decided that I was going to leave 
uh, the show after a year and a half and Jersey Boys, the original cast of Jersey Boys was happening mm -hmm. and I was auditioning for it and it was going great and they were very nice and it was up for one of the guys and they just said, you're just too young. You're just, you're too young to play this part. Like you look too young, but we'd love to offer you um, some smaller parts and you'll understudy that part. Mm -hmm. And there was, I remember speaking to my agent at the time and just going, no. And, and all of a sudden this fear of, I can't take a job unless it's as good as the job you've done before or, or, or a different direction. And that's when I started to learn about carving a career mm -hmm. and trying to make choices and doing all that, which is so scary because how do you know what the right decision is? And also it's an industry where you don't get to make choices. Mm -hmm. You're told you're good enough, not good enough too short, too thin, too fat, too this, too that. Like, so then you're trying to make a choice where you're like, and now I can only do certain things and I don't have the choice always as to whether I get to do them or not. Mm -hmm. It was scary. God, I bet. But also we're talking about musicals. So as much as it's scary, it's like, oh no, I might have to do something different other than stick on a weird costume and do a bit of singing and acting like it's not that scary like there's there's people who actually have to work for a living I get to live my happiest life it's your livelihood so in that respect yeah. it, it is scary and yeah, it, is, it is serious to have to make is it path a or path b and yeah. I guess you're never gonna know whether it's the right decision but I always say Whatever decision you make is the right decision at that at that moment, at that time. Of course, always, always. Um, and I made, I had to make a decision. I remember my agent saying to me, how about we don't take any shows and you work on television? And we, we just, you have to be brave because in that side of things, you kind of have to be available because things happen much quicker. Whereas when you're in a show, a play, a musical or whatever, you're signed up for six months or a year or, and, and, and that means you're just not available. But I had been vaguely sensible and lucky and amazing I'd, I'd sort of bought myself a house but then I was like at, at 21 you kind of go I've got a mortgage to pay now so I can't take risks anymore and all of a sudden having to be an adult and going what do you mean what, wait I've got all of these things and bills and a mortgage and a this and a that which is amazing and I'm so lucky but at the same time it takes away the time when you're supposed to make mistakes mm. At 21, you're supposed to be a dick. You're supposed to not know what you've got to do. You're not supposed to be an adult yet. And all of a sudden it was like, no, I have to do that because I've got to pay the mortgage and I've got to do this and I've got to make smart choices. And so all of a sudden there were, I did some stuff which you were kind of like, would I necessarily looking back at it would have wanted to do it? No. Did I do it because I just thought I just got to keep going? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've got to keep playing parts that are good and people think are cool mm -hmm. and I've just got to keep earning money. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you about your voice. Where did okay. the, um, did, did you have a lot of voice training? Because you do oh. have a great voice for not just accents, but for singing as well. I'm always so interested as to whether that is something that is just a natural talent or whether that is something that is, is taught behavior. 
I think probably a little bit of both. I think that you have to have something to start with. And then it's a muscle, like anything that you train. Um, I'm lazy. I'm so lazy. So I didn't do any of that stuff. I just... I just sort of make noises with a voice. Like I'm not a good singer. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm fine. I just do impressions of people that I like singing. And then it comes out vaguely, but my technique is bad. My voice gets tired easily. I just sort of like, like those Avenue Q voices. There's people like trying to find the placement of where it was. And I was just like, no, just do a voice. Mm-hmm. Or like, like, I guess I'll just do it. And sometimes I think that's better though. Cause I think if you overthink it, mm-hmm. you think, oh, my instrument's damaged. Which if you just do it, it'll be fine. Simon, <laughs> you are... Stay, stay, in, stay, stay in school, kids. Keep working hard and training. It pays off. You're so the old pal side <laughs> You are think the opposite to how I imagined you to be. I was expecting you to give me a very serious answer about the voice and... You've... I'm really sorry. Did you want to talk about protests? We can do it. We can do it. We can talk about the larynx placement if you want to. I just think it's nonsense. I don't think it's nonsense. It's amazing. There are incredible teachers out there who do amazing stuff. And there is technique is valid and important. But for me, I work best just in the moment. I work best just sort of, I don't know, I'll just go, I guess I'll just do this. And if I overthink something, I'm not good at it. I doubt myself. I just think, oh, you're rubbish. Get out. Why everyone hates you. So if I try and think about sort of doing something from an academic standpoint, I just Mm -hmm. think, well, no, because you're an idiot. You're an idiot and a moron. And what about auditions? How do you approach those? Because you said that, you know, Avenue Q was 10 or 11. I've spoken to so many people who've told me how nerve wracking the audition process can be. Do you have a certain approach to auditions? So a really, a really good friend of mine, um, Andy Nyman, taught me something which will live with me forever. And he says, it doesn't matter if the feelings are the same. You're just going to change the word nervous to excited. doesn't matter if you don't mean it. You're just going to say, you're never going to say nervous again. You're just going to say, oh my God, I'm really excited. The feeling's kind of the same. Mm-hmm. It's sort of somewhere in the middle of that that you know like 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 fear and ecstasy are are, are very close on the scale right mm-hmm. so so much of this stuff is just sort of how you decide to to um to grab it in 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 the moment of course i get excited for auditions but part of me loves them cuz here's the thing if i don't get that job for 10 minutes, I get to go in there or 20 minutes or half an hour, an hour or whatever. I get to go in there and play that part. Mm-hmm. Why would I want to waste it? Why would I want to waste it with nerves? I get to play whoever and whatever. And I spend so much of my life sitting here playing the piano, doing something pointless, that when someone gives me an opportunity to do some acting, why waste it with with being worried about it? But here's my personal thing on it, is that you spend so much time, and I think people worry too much about what the audition panel want them to do. They have this preconception of, well, okay, so they're going to want the character to be like this, and I should do this, and I should wear this, because they're going to want me to be like that. Like, bullshit. Be you. Be yourself. Because 
they're sitting there with that same piece of script in front of them and they're going to see 20 people, 30 people, 50, however many people. They are desperate for someone to do something with it that excites them. And if you worry about doing something that you think they want you to do, inherently you're going to be caged by it. It doesn't matter if you do something weird or big or different because you can walk out of that room with the knowledge that you served yourself, that you did yourself proud. I did the best version that I can do of that because that's what I wanted to do with it. If they don't like it, cool. Like that's that's their prerogative because it's their film, show, play, whatever. But I know that that's how I would do it because then I'm connected to it. I love that way of looking at it. I think that is brilliant advice. And I think that's great advice, not just if you're going to an audition, I think if you're going to an interview, whatever it is. Right. But also I'm going in there, maybe this is overconfident. As much as they're auditioning me, I want to know what they're like to work with. I don't want to work with someone who I think, I think your ideas are terrible. Mm -hmm. Or I don't connect with you as a director or whatever. Like, so I'm going to go in there and treat it as a rehearsal and we'll just play around. And if you go in there just trying to please them, then what, do you, what does anyone get out of it? Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Go in, play, be you, just play, play, always just play. I love that. I love that. Thank you. Going to uh, stockpile that. Good. So, Simon, there's so many theatre shows you've done um briefly i want to talk about um spam a lot okay when you got the pop was was your dad in seventh heaven because big monty python fan you said earlier yeah yeah there's two jobs that i've done for my dad spam a lot and doctor who um he he's a sci-fi fanatic so he grew up watching doctor who and loving monty python so two jobs that i did that i thought this is for you old man that's May you so, rest in peace. He's so not dead. He just has trouble sleeping. Oh. And did you, <laughs> did, did you love being in it, in the show? Yeah, it's Holy Grail. It's not literally, I mean, literally and figuratively, it's one of the best films ever made live on stage. You get to do Monty Python comedy live on stage. I, I have a little problem when when comedies and you see certain things and and they're like yeah it's a really classy comedy which just usually means not funny or for like guardian readers like just do comedy i hate that expression you know i don't go for the last the last will just happen if they're there no that's rubbish that just means that you're going to get put off by an audience laughing and think why are they laughing like comedy is a science yes and very clever and monty python is perfectly written it's just jokes after jokes and brilliant character. It's a joy. I've a seen joy. it about four or five times in numerous theatres around the country. And I All love... Right, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I love that You're I big can... big fan. <laughs> I just... The belly laughs. It crosses age groups, demographics, mm-hmm. everything. I just think it hits every mark. Um, yeah, it was a joy. It was a joy. And I got a sword in it. So that's good. Because... That's a that's a good thing, isn't it? Get to do a sword fight. Wow! Because you toured yeah. with it, didn't you? Yeah, I did the first. So uh, what was it? Like two thousand and ten. Ten, something around there. They had done it in town, and holy moly, that production was amazing. And then they decided to tour it, and um, Eric Idle, who was sort of the main writer. I mean, they all wrote it together, but the main driver of the show uh, had sort of always wanted to do a version. 
what they would have done, which would have just been sort of six blokes doing skits. So it was very much, I think, I think that was their strapline for marketing, but also financially, it means that they didn't have to pay a cast of 30. So it was very much more, um, Eric was in the room with us for the whole time with the Chris Luscom who directed it is an amazing director. And they sort of reworked the whole show down to this version of just kind of just the blokes doing the comedy. So it was kind of glorious and they were funny, funny, funny people in that show. So yeah, we just kind of, we dipped around in a room for a few weeks and then just got on stage and, and started going. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. You also were yes. in... What next? <laughs> Guys and Dolls, Simon. All right. How, that, yeah. how do you get the part playing opposite Rebel Wilson as Nathan Detroit in the West End? Now, this is, this is where I'm very lucky. Um, they just called me up and asked me. Uh, I, I, I had met um, Gordon Greenberg maybe a few months before he was directing it, great Broadway director. I'd met him, sort of gone in and sort of, I mean, not even for any specific part. I just gone in and met with them and, and then nothing happened. And, and I sort of left. And then however many months later, they just called up and said, do you want to, do you want to, play Nathan Detroit opposite Rebel. And I was like, uh, yeah, I think I do. Because there are categories of comedy. And one of them, and I mean this with full sincerity, is Jewish. And I, I, I constantly sort of mock myself for my religion because I feel like Judaism is, 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 is ripe for comedy. And it's inherent in the nature. It's part of it. It's like Bible's money, self-deprecation that's sort of part that's what makes you a Jew um and I think there are certain things when you when you're younger and watching and again like Mel Brooks is mm-hmm. a, a god and Nathan Detroit is always one of those parts that I was like I want to play that part I remember seeing it in the national when I was very young and again you know Sky Masterson's the romantic one singing the songs I was like no move away I want to play the little weird one um so I was I was I was ecstatic to play that part, and I think because Rebel, they needed someone who came from a bit more of an improv background. They didn't know what she was going to do with it, mm-hmm. and because she's Rebel Wilson and a movie star, they weren't going to tell her not to do what she wanted to do with it. So I think they needed someone who was open to you know roll with the punches. So I was a probably a smart choice for that, wow. um, and it was amazing. We had a great time doing it. You mentioned improv. Yeah. It's, it's an art form you love, isn't it? I'm hugely passionate about it, yeah. Hugely. You know, earlier when you were saying about like technique and stuff like that, and, uh, and, and that for me, that's, in terms of acting, that's the best technique. Personally, I'm wrong. In, for many other people will say, you're wrong and it should be this and that and that, and that's great. But for me, you know, like in, oh God, I can't believe I'm about to say this, religion. Essentially, they're all different, but essentially, when you get down to the very crux of it, it's be a good person, right? Mm-hmm. So with acting, it doesn't matter what method you're looking at, they all come down to listen and respond. And there's loads of ways to get there. Mm-hmm. But when you're improvising, you have no choice 
other than to listen and respond. Otherwise, you physically cannot respond because you didn't listen to what the other person was saying because you don't know what they're going to say. Mm-hmm. And we're doing it now. You and I have had a conversation for however long now, and we haven't... It's been, hopefully, interesting, and we just listen to each other and respond. That's improvisation. Mm. It doesn't need to be whose line is it anyway where everything's a laugh and a joke. You just need to be in the moment mm. and, and respond. You got to do lots of improv, didn't you, on um, the Nativity film, Nativity Rocks? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you were in the movie and yeah. also in um, Nativity the musical. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Debbie Isaac, who created the world of Nativity, she uh, created these wonderful films and other films like Confetti and is a BAFTA award-winning writer and all that. She's a wonderful woman. She made the films and then decided somewhere around, I think it was about 2012, maybe, to workshop the idea of making the first nativity film into a musical. And I was brought on board to play Mr. Poppy, who in the first three films is played by uh, Mark Wooten mm-hmm. and is he's incredible in them. And he now he's, a, again, a wonderful improviser. Um, and so I was brought in to play that part on stage and... Uh, yeah, the way that it works is that Debbie gives you the scene structure and she does have a script in front of her and things, but she never lets you see it. So she says, this is what the scene's about. I need you to hear this, 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 this as plot points. Off you go. And then you just create it. And I think once you get the character and understand it, the, the words come easy. But yeah, it was it was amazing. So we created that in the room. Uh, we did the workshops and then a few years later, I then in the meantime was in the third movie, just popped up as a little mm-hmm. fun bit part in the third film. And then we did the stage show and that went well. We played the Hammersmith Apollo three years in a row. So I think it was ha- just just in London alone, we were somewhere in the couple of hundred thousand people who would see it wow. every Christmas. And that those films mean so much to so many families and so many people that it's joyous to be a part of. And the kids on stage are the best improvisers in the world because their imaginations are completely intact. So you can say anything to them and they're, they're with you. Whereas you look at some old pro actor and improvise with them and they're scared because they overthink, I don't want to look stupid or foolish. Whereas the kid's just like, yes, we're on a pirate ship, let's go. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we did that. And then it was after, I think, the first year of doing it, all the film people had come to see because I think uh, I think they were just wanted to go a different way with the films. And I think Mark had decided that he had done enough of those now and they had made whatever decisions they wanted and came to me and said, look, we need the Mr. Poppy character feeling, but you'll turn up as his brother and, and kind of carry on the baton and lead wow. this film, which was so scary because I'd done some TV and film stuff, but leading it, is a different ball game. Not just leading it, Simon, with a star-studded cast as well. Yeah, there was a lot of intimidating people. Day one, when you turn up and you're sitting opposite Celia Imrie, and 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 then you you you're with Ruth Jones and Anna Chancellor and Mira Sayal and Hugh Dennis and Helen, jo- all of these people, and you're like, what? I think any actor that tells you, oh my god, yeah, I nailed it, that lying sack of shit. Like you, you, I spent every second of that of that film shoot going. Well, I'm a, I'm a fraud, I'm a fraud, and they, they've all they've all found me out now. This is the end. This is the end of my life, oh. my career. 
but you do I think you just inherently feel like that especially in comedy I guess it must have meant so much to you as well though for you to feel that way yeah yeah it is the most terrifying and the best experience professionally that I've ever had wow that's actually really lovely to hear not that you were terrified but (laughs) it is it is there's a look of joy in her eyes there and it I find the fear, the fear excited her. It's the mug. She's I, thinking about the mug. I think, I think it's such a clever idea, you know, the premise. And mm. the musical, I think, is gorgeous. And like you say, the kids, when I saw it about a year ago in Southampton, mm-hmm. they just, they wowed me so much. I, I, yeah, the stars. Yeah, it's just, all about them. Yeah. It's a brilliant, brilliant idea. And I think for you to be leading a cast like that, mm still really young you are that must sure. you know feel good feel like your career's heading in the right direction or you're you're you know you're on the right path yeah it, 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 what what I want to do from here on in I think my 20s was was really all about theatre and and doing all of that stuff and I love it and theatre will always have my heart I think there is nothing more exciting than sitting in a theatre and watching live theatre it, it, it's phenomenal um but I love to write and I love to create and do that stuff and I've said this before and I say it again I am a distinctly average actor like I am at best fine like there are people who are especially for for doing those eight shows a week and doing those things are just superior I think the one thing if I was forced to give myself a compliment is that in the heat of the moment, I'm not scared to come up with an idea, which is great, but I'd either rather put that idea on a piece of paper or help someone else do that, help someone else be braver than they thought they could be, Mm -hmm. um, or just have to do it once. So everyone thinks that I'm wonderful and then I don't have to do it again where they start to see it all unravel. It just makes me much happier. So do you see your career here on in going down a slightly different path? I just would like variety. Mm-hmm. I would like variety uh, I, in terms of, I would like to maybe write a bit. I was starting to write some stuff, which was exciting. Uh, and people were going to pay me for it. So, you know, bonus. Um and I just like the idea of jumping. I, I, I still love theatre, but I probably wouldn't do a big old long run of something unless it was, you know, perfect. Because also I think just life's really important. Mm-hmm. I just variety. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to, I want to, it's so soppy, but I want to fall in love. And I want to, I want to have a family and I want to do all of those things. And it doesn't mean that you can't do those things, but I am a little all or nothing. So I like the idea of just a bit more balance mm. is nice. Mm. It's nice. What's it like um, working behind a camera then? Because obviously you mentioned Doctor Who earlier. Uh, yeah. I know you've worked on Casualty. Yeah, I um, did a film called Show Dogs with Will Arnett. I did, yeah, The Nativity. Yeah, um, it's very different. Mm-hmm. It's very different, especially coming from a theatre background where you're trying to hit the back of a room of 3,000 people that doesn't work so much on camera. Um, So it takes some getting used to. My first TV job, like a lot of people, was The Bill. 
Yeah, I did not realise that my eyebrows were such a force. And because they're, they're big for anyone that doesn't know what I look like. They're, they're, imagine like a Eugene Levy meets the guy from the OC, the dad from the OC. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're, they're big. Along with the Great Wall of China, they can be seen from space. And so <laughs> when, and they're, and they're also quite expressed. They move a lot. Like I've got a bit of a plasticine face. Um, and so I had to walk into the scene where there are police in my house and look surprised. And I sort of lifted my eyebrows up in this kind of like, what's going on here? But it just looked like my, it looked like my, my hair was, and my forehead were trying to make a dash from my face. My eyebrows were so high. I looked so weird. And yeah, that was a, that was a shocking lesson to learn as my family sat around the television. (laughs) Mum, dad, my brother, let's sit down and watch my first television appearance. They were laughing so hard at my stupid face. It was bad. I don't think your face is stupid at all. And I think your face is part of the reason, you know, you've done so well, clearly, up to this point. On on stage, but up close. Well, and on film, Simon. Sure. Yeah. Fine. From certain angles with the right light (laughs) and a lot of time in the makeup truck. (laughs) With the right light. (laughs) Pull it back more! Has this strange time been for you then since lockdown in March? Yeah. Um, you said to me earlier that you weren't in a show in March, so you didn't have that to deal with. But but what's it been like? Because obviously, you know, the theatre industry has pretty much been paused. Um, yeah. How's life and work been for you in the last five and a half months? I mean, as global pandemics go, I've had worse. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's been weird, isn't it? I mean, what's the answer to that? You can dress it up and go, you know, I've been so productive and I've really found myself, but you're a liar. It's weird. It's boring. It's scary. It's shit. Choose any other descriptive. Um, I can't complain that much. Um, we've been asked to have a sit down and watch telly. Like it's petrifying from a personal perspective. It's, you know, we're fine. Mm-hmm. Of course, everyone in their own varying degrees, we're all not earning. We're all, you know, mm-hmm. scared about that stuff. Um, I've got my health. I don't know anyone. None of my family have been sick. Mm-hmm. My friends have been all right. So, you know, I thank my stars for that. But it's just weird. It's mm-hmm. weird. And you don't know when it's going to go back mm-hmm. and you don't know when it's going to revert back to normal. And then if it does revert back to normal, what's normal? And so hopefully we kind of, we get back to it. And everyone cries out for help from people and to right. But, you know, what can those people really do? Because who knows what this thing is going to do. So we should be supported and everyone in the arts, everyone in every industry that's struggling should be supported um, but yeah, hopefully we just get back to something. But you know what I love? I love the fact that people now, you've, we've really seen it in the last few weeks, that people are going, okay, let's think outside the box and create some new stuff. And I think it's weird and all of a sudden people are like, okay, I don't want to watch any more solo concerts or weird readings of plays. But then I think we will start watching more of them because we'll start to digest our content that way. And Mm. those people who are trailblazing and who are being brave, I think it's really exciting. Mm. 
So that's good. In terms of work for you, throughout this mm. time, you would have been going to auditions and, you know, I, I being had some seen work for things. Up. Yeah. Yeah, I had some stuff that I was going to do that hopefully will still happen, mm-hmm. uh, but was sort of put on hold. Um, so hopefully once we get out of things, I, I do a little cartoon show for Nickelodeon. And so we've just slowly, we're starting to do a couple of, get back into series on that. Mm-hmm. So, um, but the other bits hopefully will come back next year. But you know what? I have a weird hobby that I love, which is why this mug is here. Uh, I, I'm a, a huge fan of magic and I'm in a thing called the Magic Circle, which is, yeah. And so I, I never really get a chance to do it. So during lockdown, um, I've removed a lot of them because they took it. But I created a brand new magic trick every day for 50 days and wow. posted it. So I made and did that. And um, uh, and and that that's how I filled up my time because, you know, I prefer magic to sex. So, you know, it's, it's just a real solid way to make sure that no one ever wants to see your penis is to um, just dabble in magic. It's real great for the love life. Um, what do you mean I can't see anyone? Didn't want to anyway, because I love magic. Pick a card. I can see that there is um, a piano in the background. So is that a hobby of yours as well? Um, yeah, I play piano very badly. Um, but yeah, uh, there's some piano, there's some puppets there. That was... That little bad boy there, that's my opening night gift from Avenue Q. That's a mini Trekkie monster. Um, That right there is a little sheet puppet from a production of As You Like It that I did, where instead of having a lady play Audrey, I did it as a ventriloquist act with a sheet puppet. Wow. You know, what's what's more exciting than one person butchering Shakespeare (laughs) is one person butchering two parts in Shakespeare. (laughs) So that's double the less of understanding of the text. It's this a dagger I see before you? Me. I don't know. It's not my forte. Um, <laughs> you can't improv Shakespeare. Uh, Simon, you have I tried. Been very well done. It has been announced that you will start with Samantha Box in uh, First Date, a virtual production yeah. of it in October, yeah. directed by Dean Johnson. This uh-huh. is exciting. Really exciting. This is, I think, this is one of the the forward thinking things that they're trying. So um, Lambert Jackson Productions are uh, have been doing some really cool stuff. And I think they're doing songs for a new world and they're doing that at the Palladium. They're doing a live version. But what we're doing, which is slightly different, is that we're going to sort of create a little sort of hybrid movie thing, a show movie, a shoovy. Um, and we're going to film it at, at the Pedal Club at Crazy Cox. And so because the whole thing's set in a restaurant, mm-hmm. We're sort of not doing it as a performance down the camera. It's filmed as if we're on set in and and doing it as if a show. But you're, okay. so it's a film essentially. We're making a musical film yeah. thing, which will I think be really exciting. And Sam and I have known each other a little while and always wanted to do something together. So Lovely. I think it'll be really fun. And there's some other amazing cast members in it. Um, Oscar Conlamori, who who was my understudy in Nativity the Musical. Um, he's going to be in it. He's very funny, uh, very lovely. And Daniel Steers, who was great in Bat Out of Hell. Uh, Nicholas McLean, who's in Wicked. So there's, there's some really exciting people in it. Amazing. What a great idea. Yeah, really cool. I think really exciting, really fun, and a bit weird and different, and uh, and something that is we're inevitably going to have to figure out, but I kind of love that. Yeah. I love that we're going to try something different, and they're brave enough to try something different, and we're going to see how it works. Oh, well, I look forward to seeing that. Um, Me too. 
You mentioned earlier magic is one of your hobbies and piano. Because yeah. I always ask my guests, how do you relax? I love to box. I get hit a lot, but I love to box. Um, for me, magic, I find crazy relaxing. I'll just sit and shuffle a deck of cards right here. I mean, there's about seven decks of cards right here. Uh, so I'll play with magic. I'll, I'll play the piano. Essentially, imagine what a child would do. <laughs> And then just transfer that onto a six foot two hairy man with tattoos. So it's like, I mean, look at me. Look at the, essentially, this looks like a child's den. Like, who, I'm not going to reach far, but who can reach a woody toy at like, that's not, I haven't had to lean for that, a woody toy, and there's a bowling pin, and it's, I'm an idiot. So, I just, that, I just, whatever. I watch telly, I play piano, I dick around with a deck of cards, and a moron. Well, I think that sounds lovely. Um, Thank you. And who would you say has been your biggest influence? Oh, man, that's a really good slash tough question. When I was younger, Michael Crawford, uh, who was Frank Spencer, Mm -hmm. but also a phantom of the opera, and also Barnum. I had a video of Barnum that I think they recorded somewhere like the Victoria Palace or somewhere like that. Um, and I used to watch it maybe every night. And cause it was like a dude that was singing and dancing and on telly doing a comedy, playing a comedy character. And he was funny and could juggle. And so I was like, I'm in. And so, yeah, that, that was a huge inspiration. Um, it, so in terms of career, him, 100%. Um, my dad has always mm. been has always been a good role model for all of his wonderful merits and his mistakes. I think that's kind of a cool thing. Mm. I, I, I kind of love, what I love most about him is that I can look at everything he's done and gone, oh, wow, you fucked up there. But then so did I. So what did you do? So what should I do? And sort of, you, I can comfortably look at myself, however many years down the line, and go, "Well, he came out all right, so it'll be fine." Oh. So that, I guess. But yeah, that's I don't, so I don't lovely. Know. But I, I, he'll love that as well. I think hearing that. He 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 does not care for my career. He will not be <laughs> listening to this. He will. <laughs> he um... also does not know what a podcast is. Oh, well, you can show him with your mug. (laughs) With the mug. Here we go. Well, I'll wait for yours to come out, find my name on it and go, well, look at this. And he'll go, lovely. I'm very pleased that you've invested in a line of crockery. And I say, no, no, Dad, you haven't understood. You haven't understood the concept. That was actor Simon Lipkin from Essex. Don't forget to subscribe to future episodes from your preferred podcast provider and follow me on Twitter at Shireen Jordan and on Instagram at Shireen R. Jordan.